Professional wrestling is the one true sport. Other sports have their share of intense dramatic moments, but nothing can compare with professional wrestling. Welcome to Wrestling History X, where three friends come together to talk about the stories behind the matches. I'm Matt. I'm Michael. And I'm Shane. Welcome to episode 74, SummerSlam 1992. The SummerSlam you thought you'd never see. But we watched it. We all watched it. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Well, anyways, because so it's in a different we, country. What were we not supposed to see? Well, Slam in I another mean, country. Maybe. I'm I mean, maybe some of these matches, I mean, like maybe. nobody needed to see, but you, that's a different than you know. Never thought you would see. Warrior and Savage Part Two. Mm. I mean, I want to see that. Brother and brother-in-law. I want to see that. Uh, Nails and Virgil. <laughs> mm, I mean, nah. you know, I do like Virgil, but. <sighs> Anybody who's listening to me knows I do not. Yeah, I think Nails is a cool name. And that's where it ends. That's about all it is. Yeah, there's a, a, there's a really scary band I like called Nails, but they they earn their name. Is it with a Z? No. Uh, no. They're not as cool as this guy. They had that's, potential. I don't think that's true. <laughs> so this was the fifth annual SummerSlam produced by the WWF. It would take place on August 29th, 1992 at Wembley Stadium in jolly old London, England. <laughs> We're all going to watch this. I'm going to try. I guess it's fun, more funny if we try to do it. I mean, come on. I went through Japanese names last week. and Yeah, true. The show would then air two days later in America. The show would have an attendance of 80,350. 55 people. Disputed. That's a whole lot of stuff. That's what it said on Wikipedia. Yes. On Wrestlepedia. I mean, any number that we give is gonna be always disputed. disputed yeah. Like, they're not, yeah. There's not, like, a guy with a clicker. But the show only had a buy rate of 1.5, which isn't awesome. Because they usually were doing, like, 2 point something. Well, there's something here is different. I mean, it did air on a Monday in oh. the United States. Well, I mean, come so that's on. part of the problem, I think, with the buy That's rate. a dumb choice. Yes. They could have waited a, a handful more days and aired it on a Saturday or a Sunday. Or had the show actually on a different day in London and yeah. Yeah. then showed it on Sunday. and Have it on a Friday in London and play it on a Sunday. But it also doesn't have, you know, an ex-Floridian bass player on the show. Slash bodybuilder. That is true. Slash, there is no Hogan. Slash, um, you know... But they were in Cocker London, so we didn't need any real Americans. <laughs> There's no real Americans there. I think anybody flew over from the U.S. to g- attend this show as a fan? Probably. You think so? I mean, there's people that fly over from England to yeah. the United States to watch shows all the time. But yeah, see, that's but, people you know, from other countries coming here in, in the sense of America going, or Americans going somewhere else to see what they what consider you're say, What product. Shane is trying to say is that wrestling fans are poor. No, I'm trying to say a lot of wrestling fan, a lot of wrestling fans in the United States are kind of assholes. Oh, I mean, you know, I'm send pretty nice. I, I love you. Send all complaints to Shane at, <laughs> at uh, Shane dot um, Shane dot com. Yes, <laughs> but we are in jolly old London, England, so I feel like Shane, you probably brought us a special treat. Yes. Okay. Yeah, this is your face turn. This is. This is this is where I take it all back. Um, yes, SummerSlam, one of my favorite shows. 
coincidentally around my birthday. This specific SummerSlam? No, just oh. in general. Okay, I was just Summer curious. Slam. I, I like SummerSlams because they typically happen around my birthday, so that was always the pay-per-view that I got to celebrate with when I was younger. And, I don't know, the first I, one being in London. SummerSlam's kind of my second favorite because what it is is your... Right it's like, it's the it's the... Like if WrestleMania is the end of a th- the like blow off matches, I mean that's what we want it to be. It's not always that. SummerSlam is like WrestleMania like point five in a way because it's not a gimmick show at all. It's just like a big show, and they typically still have the opportunity to have big matches on it. Agreed. So I'm always more interested in SummerSlam than I am Survivor Series, but that's pretty yeah. obvious. I mean. Everyone knows that listens to this show about our feelings about Shane likes Survivor Series, but he has a good reason. Yes, I was there. Dang it! Yeah, Growing I was up there. As a child watching. Mm-hmm. But yes, with this SummerSlam taking place from uh, London, I decided to try and come up with something a little different. A because talking that's food. What I've been doing. Yes, talking food. Come up with something a little different. Turn a classic English dish into a sandwich using ingredients that I can find in Oklahoma because I'm not in England. So, Confirmed, not in England. Yeah, the, the main ingredient that you can't find over here that would be similar would be bacon. The bacon over there is way different. Our bacon over here, while it's flavorful and crispy and delicious, it's, it's not What do they do meaty. over there? It's, what, what it's over the there? way it's cut, the way it's cured. It's actual, no. like, almost kind of like Canadian bacon in a way. It has more meat consistency to it than is it, it is just crispy is it, fat. Is it a different cut of the pig? It is. They the, just call uh, it bacon? Typically, it's it's back bacon. Interesting. Yeah. No, it's not it's, the strips we know and no, love? It, it has almost a, a ham type look to it. Okay. So it's English bacon. Oh, okay, it's, well, what's the... Like there's um, Canadian bacon. Yeah, 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 Canadian bacon. But with this one, I decided to uh, create the uh, Americanized version or the Oklahoma version of a full English breakfast turn into a sandwich. Full English breakfast over there, it's not something they eat on a daily basis, but... How could you? They look like us if they did. (laughs) Okie English Sammy? Yeah, there you go. go. I like that. Mm -hmm. Um, So over there, the the English breakfast typically consists of a couple types of protein, your bacon, your sausage. It also has some roasted tomatoes, roasted mushrooms, an egg cooked perfectly up. Uh, Some beans... And then, I don't know, sometimes I'll throw some potato or whatever in there. Over here, since I can't find all of those ingredients, uh, one of them specifically, the uh, black pudding that it would call for, which is... I've had black pudding. A, it's not that great. Nope. See, no, I, I've I had, had to ask Alex about that yeah. because I needed to find out if I was missing something and if I needed to really find it. And she said, well, a lot of people really like it. I don't. So Yeah. I've had like a blood sausage where you like poke it open and it just like looks like a horror movie whenever it pops open yeah. like onto whatever it's served on but it tasted delicious texture was kind of weird but it it was good this is a little different what this is we were talking about it was more like of a like salami type looking thing right yeah yeah so it's like a little bit more held together than uh yeah it's what, what mine looked like i said like a horror movie but it tasted good so i went a different route and it's the carry uh, the carry sausage if you will I, I contacted my, my friends at the uh, the Good Egg Dining Group that I work for and went to one of our sister restaurants, Iron Star, located here in Oklahoma City, and picked up some supplies there. We've got uh, on this sandwich, nicely crispy toasted Texas toast with a little bit of butter. There's some uh, baked beans, 
smoked turkey, there is a uh, black pepper sausage, some bacon. Instead of the black pudding, since I couldn't find it here, I went for their pudding that they're famous for, their corn pudding, mm. uh, which is like a Great choice. creamy, cheesy, yeah, corny, green chili-y it's like deliciousness. The, it's like the acceptable version of cream corn. Yes. You know what I mean? Because like cream corn, you're like, get this the fuck out of here. But this is yeah. it's that, like cream but corn without all not, the mush. Yeah, yeah. But, but not the mush. No mush. And then there's some roasted tomatoes and a... Nicely fried, sunny side up egg. Perfectly cooked. Yeah, you nailed the egg. Hey, I, I kind of surprised myself on that one. So I, it's been a long time since I made one. So it, it took three tries, and I got that last one. Well, I don't know which one Perfect. mine was, but it was pretty good. I don't know either. Deliciousness, meaty, beany, corny. And assuming not, la- not laughing, corny. Yes, not laughing, no. corny. Delicious the, corny. The no. delicious. The grain, right? Something like that? Or is it a vegetable? I don't know. I grew up in Nebraska. I should know this shit. Beans? Beans is legumes. Uh, Corn is useless and tasty. I'm going to take a bite so you can hear this crispy toast as I bite on air. Well, as he chomps away, we'll talk about a film that would come out the next weekend. Twin Peaks. Fire Walk With Me. (sighs) What I when I was watching this show, there's a moment that I'll refer to later where Vince McMahon, the the consumer of culture that we know he is, makes a Twin Peaks reference, and I was like, "That's wild." Twin Peaks is ended in '91 because I am a huge Twin Peaks fan, and you I'm going to try. Twin Peaks. I'm going to try to not overdo it. I found out that Shane is a Twin Peaks fan. Didn't know that, so you know, Grandma. I when I met the guy, I was like, I like him. We're already friends, and now I know. And now I bring you food and talk about Twin Peaks. Uh, yeah. <laughs> this could be a Twin Peaks podcast, potentially. But it won't be. But I'm just saying that I was confused. Probably because I've never watched it. I was I was. Well, we're, I need I, to catch up a little bit more because it's been a few years since I've watched any. But the but I was confused. I was like, what is Vince? Is he that unaware of what's going on? The, the show's over. <laughs> and then I wasn't thinking about the movie, and I opened up the notes. I don't read Matt's notes until the show starts. I take my own notes, look between the two of them, breaking kayfabe here. So when I saw Twin Peaks Fire walk with me, my uh, heart grew, you know, two sizes too big. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, so, and then and then Shane was like, ah, oh, I watched Twin Peaks Live. And I was like, yeah. Well, I did not, and that's probably a good thing. I'm My parents, like I should not have been watching it at that age. <laughs> Matt, have you seen Twin Peaks Fire Walk with me? I hope not. I have not watched if any you Twin Peaks at all. Well, if you haven't watched the show, don't have, watch the movie. I have literally learned more about Twin Peaks. From just being around just me? from being around you yeah, than well. I ever did. <laughs> well, this movie is uh, very different than the show, yes. even though it is the last seven days of the what would you say? The, not the main character, but the reason the show exists is to find out how this girl died. Yes. And the show is, the movie is a prequel that is the last seven days of her life. So you actually get to see this actress act out, you know, her last seven days. And it is very, very upsetting. It was very shocking to Twin Peaks fans. It did not give them what they wanted. And it also doesn't star the lead actor of the television show which is another thing but now that time has passed people love and appreciate it for what it is it is a deeply upsetting but a very much 
Twin Peaks canon. Yes. When it all comes down to it. Darkness, weird languages, weird <laughs> visions. Yeah, <sighs> Twin Peaks was, was awesome. I mean... It's kind of the first, like, water cooler show, where it kind of paved the way for things like X-Files and stuff like that. And, like, you know, of course, Lost. And the way that television is now, this was kind of the first thing that everybody got in on. Unfortunately, they didn't stick with it because the show was not consistently good. People still love it. I still love all of it. But it did get some interference because it came to such a fever pitch that... Everybody needed an answer, and they forced the creators to give them an answer that they never even planned on giving you in the first place. At the very least, just go to YouTube, search Twin Peaks, listen to the theme song. If you don't feel better afterwards, do you even have a heartbeat? If you don't know the name Laura Palmer, watch. (laughs) If you don't know who killed Laura Palmer, watch. It got so big, there's a beautiful photo of Debbie Harry of Blondie. Can I just wiki read it? Oh, no, don't do that. It takes that. No, Twin Peaks is all mood. It's nothing but mood. Yeah. You have to watch each individual character in their weirdness throughout the entire thing while you're drinking a cup of coffee yeah. and a slice of pie in a diner. Yes. It's a teen drama drawing from the 50s, but then like put through a like a meat factory <laughs> grinder. And it <laughs> all comes out in this beautiful, this beautiful stew. It's the way that we reacted back in 1990s to Twin Peaks. It was... Unlike anything that was on TV before then, and way darker, way more intense and serious, and I mean, still hell, has a Kyle com- McLaughlin like, wouldn't have a career uh, without it. Kyle McLaughlin, you know, famous from the Flintstones and Sex and the City. <laughs> <laughs> I'll stop it here, but give it a shot. It's not for everybody, but it's get at least to episode three. Then you'll know if you're in or not. Yes. Well, why don't we walk with me? To the <laughs> to, opening of this show. Yeah, to the to the apron. And Vince McMahon, narration over an Ico Pro ad. <sighs> yeah, for everybody who cares about what they put into their body, mm. go Ico Pro. <laughs> yeah. This is yeah, Vince is like, well, you know, that's is that why Bulldog's at the top of the mat at the top of the show? <laughs> <laughs> is is he the Ico Pro man? We see shots of the crowd outside of the arena in jolly old England. It's so many children. So much face paint, and like everybody there is so excited, but it's a lot of kids that really like wrestling. It's really cool. We see two young ladies talking about whose corner Mr. Perfect will be in. That's the show. That's kind of the <laughs> big story behind this show. We see a royal band, carriages, shots of Big Ben, before a live shot of the crowd in Wembley Stadium. There are a fuck ton of people. Uh, 80,355 people, parentheses disputed. Vince McMahon and Bobby the Brain Heenan then welcome us to the show. And Bobby puts a crown on and says he is Sir Bobby, the King of England. And Vince is just like, dude, what are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) He's doing Bobby. Uh, I miss the days when Vince McMahon rolled his eyes at people wearing... Stupid crowns. I like Vince as an announcer because he's like almost so bad that he's good. Mm-hmm. It's very, very fun, but I just wish that we could have like cloned Gorilla Monsoon <laughs> or something. You just need like Gorilla backups. McMahon also says Henry VIII would be rolling over in his grave about the crown. And then they start talking about which corner Mr. Perfect will be in. 
before we head off to our first so match. which corner is Mr. Perfect going to be in is kind of our Who Killed Laura Palmer of this show. Very much so. <laughs> that's, a, that's, a twin that that's a Twin Peaks reference. It. I mean, I just, I like it. I just I, did it. I like I'm it. sorry. <laughs> I'll try to contain myself. So our first match, Money, Inc. of Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase, and Erwin R. Scheister with Jimmy Hart versus the Legion of Doom of Hawk and Animal with Paul Ellering. LOD comes down on motorcycles and Ellering has a dummy on the front of his bike. Yeah, what was that? Uh, Rocco. Yes, Rocco. Who's Rocco? Shane? Mm, you were here. You were there. I was, I was there, but I, for the life of me, don't fucking remember much about Rocco at all. Well, also, like when he was doing him throughout the match... Like little images of it were popping into my head, but I don't remember. It's like, how do you make LOD like more badass? Give him a you give him a ventriloquist dummy. I don't think that that sounds like that would work very well. Do you? No. Yeah, Dana doesn't. Um, so just in case Shane didn't remember, what's wild is that they come out on motorcycles. Paul comes out on a motorcycle. They all, Hawk no. and will come out on motorcycles. They look awesome. The motorcycles are great. They're getting a big old pop. And then Rocco. If he at least it could be a little Paul. That'd be funny if Paul was like <laughs> losing his mind, so he's speaking through the puppet or something. Wouldn't a sock puppet been better? Maybe Rick Steiner. <sighs> yeah, of course. Only if Rick Steiner has it on. You leave Rick alone, you son of a bitch. So the story behind Rocco, I wrote it down just in case Shane <laughs> couldn't remember. Yeah, I mean, come on, how could you remember? LOD had so been doing vignettes on TV about losing their inspiration and reminiscing about their childhood. When, that is not LOD. When they would find oh. themselves in a junkyard and they would find their prized ventriloquist dummy. From childhood. Mm-hmm. These kids should have been blowing things up with fireworks. M80s. That should have been... Their best friend was an M80. Yeah, I mean, or like, you know... They grew up where? Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. These big mean guys. Town ah. of the ventriloquist dummy. Jesus Christ. Okay. It's fucked. It's crazy that LOD comes into a tag match with Money Inc. and they have the dumber gimmick. That's fucked up. <laughs> and I mean, it, LOD, fine, but the puppet is dumber than anything that, yeah. that is Money Inc. Yep. Ah, motorcycle entrance school, LOD. This might be the first time they've got the Road Warriors pop <laughs> like in something closer to the Road Warriors pop in the WWF just because of the sheer amount of people there. And there's tons of LOD signs, they're kids still, with the pads still and shirts. The crowd. This gimmick is um, super dumb. They're yeah. definitely not over with the... Uh... With the man sitting at the announce table. Mm, yes, yes. Oh, wait, kayfabe. He's not really the owner and president. They're not over with Jack Tunney. Exactly. Jack Tunney's yeah, not a yeah. fan. Gorilla Monsoon hated him so much that he couldn't even attend the show. Oh. Gorilla Monsoon was like, I, I'm not getting on a plane for that long. I'm eight feet tall and four, 480 pounds. So the match gets going with DiBiase starting off with chops, slamming Hawk's head into a turnbuckle. But as soon as it looks like the Road Warrior is going to turn the tide, Million Dollar Man heads to the outside. Animal comes over to hit him with a double axe handle from behind and roll DiBiase back in only for Hawk to clotheslining right back out to the floor, followed by a clothesline by Animal. 
IRS is Irish whipped hard into a corner, and he looks to bail, but Animal steps on his tie to keep him from rolling out. Oh, that's beautiful and well executed. Only if the commentary went along with it. Mm, what did they That's say? not his tongue, that's his tie. <sighs> yeah. Lame. Come on, Bobby is always lame. I mean, I, and that's why he's great. Maybe it's because I don't always get British humor. <sighs> what do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> The crown doesn't make you British. The, the, road, bean, the beans do. The road warrior then press slams Shyster and the LOD begins to work over the arm of IRS. Only for Irwin to escape and lock on a sleeper on Hawk. Which he ends up backing IRS into a corner to force a break. Clothesline by Hawk goes up to the top rope but misses the flying clothesline when Shyster ducks. Sending him out to the floor. Million Dollar Man's out to work on him hitting a body slam, multiple head slams into the apron before rolling Hawk back in. I have to say how much I dislike Million Dollar Man in white. Oh, that's a horrible take. His white trunks are the Uh, best. (laughs) I mean, I like it a lot. Also, I just love anybody in white gear. I like heels and I love heels in white gear. Uh, Uh, I like faces in white gear. I love white gear. White gear normally doesn't bug me, but it just didn't look right on him. Maybe it's just because my eyes are permanently burn, burned with the, the black trunks and the gold dollar sign. But yeah, yeah. Something just looked off with the, the boots. I think it was, as much as I always talk about Steve Austin's knee pads, he had his own little, I don't know, some sort of brace or support or something like that on both of his legs that it was distracting. The, sh- the shins were too much for you? No. <laughs> like, it was, it was, I don't know. He looked like he was wearing thigh-high boots. Because he had the... I got. I see. Yeah. I don't agree. I just don't like it. But it's fine. Money Inc. continues the attack with snap mares, elbow drops, head slams into turnbuckles, some chin locks, knee drops, chokes, until Hawk blocks a DiBiase suplex attempt. Begins to power his way to the corner for the... No! The ref misses the tag because of IRS coming into the ring. Shyster then tosses Hawk to the ropes, only for them both to hit clotheslines for a double KO. The Road Warrior is up and finally makes the hot tag. I love that Bobby, like the, you know, the ref doesn't see the tag or whatever, and Bobby's like, ah, if you're if you're close enough, you don't really need the tag. <laughs> Animals in with a flying shoulder tackle to Million Dollar Man, drop kick to IRS, has DiBiase in the corner, only for Shyster to hit a knee into the back. Money Inc. then with a double clothesline attempt, but the Road Warrior ducks and comes back with one of his own. Animal then hits an atomic drop on IRS to send him out to the floor. <sighs> LOD with an Irish whipped aided clothesline on Million Dollar Man. And Animal lifts up DiBiase for the Doomsday Device. But Shyster drop kicks Animal, forcing him to drop the Million Dollar Man. Boo. Hawk then drops down <laughs> off the top rope hitting IRS with a clothesline descending to the apron, while Animal tosses Million Dollar Man to the ropes, causing Money, Inc. to hit each other, and DiBiase stumbles backwards into an Animal Power Slam for the pin and no win. No Doomsday? No No Doomsday? First match, no Doomsday? This was weird, but then uh, when the match ended, I noticed something. What did you notice? Uh, that this was the match where Animal was drunk. You see him like exit the ropes and then enter because he just doesn't know where he he's 
He's fucked up, and uh, animal was or Hawk was. Animal was. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and because Hawk made the pin. No, but, animal, animal made the pin. And I guess it was. Then I guess it was Hawk. Yeah, and like but, Hawk's yeah. usually the one that you hear about having the issues. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was then it, yeah, it's Hawk. I mean, my notes were sloppy, but either way, yeah, it's like it's like they talk about this in the. In a, in a television show that we've all probably watched. But I was like, oh, okay, because I was watching it, and when the doomsday didn't happen, and then I saw the finish and the, the rope walk, I was like, I've seen this before. But I was kind of confused, because I know that he had issues before, but when he they came out with their pads, of course, because it's LOD, and the pads were actually nice and new and shiny, looked good, but they had like a little power thing on it, so I was like, well, is this after he got into Jesus and started the power team on his off time. So I was like, oh, so maybe the drunk thing already happened. Uh, turns out it didn't. LOD getting almost beat by Money, Inc. So this match was originally supposed to be for the tag team belts. But Money, Inc. had lost them about a month prior to the natural disasters that we'll see later on in the show. Well, as long as they didn't lose it to the Beverly Brothers. And this would be... Legion of Doom. Ah, so I was right. Last match. I was looking around, I was like, do we have the information? I think I'm right. (laughs) In the WWF for about five years. So, you know, there's plenty of time to find Jesus and join the power team. Exactly. We then go to the back, Mean Jeans there with Ric Flair. And Flair says, when people talk about bright lights, big cities, SummerSlam in London, they gotta be talking about Ric Flair. And Gene wonders why he's in his gear. Because, you know, Flair's in his trunks, in his robe. Well, I mean, you know the answer to that. He doesn't have a match. He's styling him and profiling. Why why wouldn't he do that for television? Flair says he stays ready for any kind of action. Hmm. But actually, he just had an ear issue, so that's why he didn't have a match. Got water in the ear. That's all I could could find. Mean Gene then asks Flair about Perfect... You know, because we're still trying to find out which corner he's in. And Flair responds, he's in the dressing room of the winner. Mm, nice. We then go to Sean Mooney, who's in the locker room with Virgil. Yay. And Virgil, Virgil says like Virgil. he has survived the toughest streets around the world. And I'll survive you. And I'm definitely too, too legit, legit to too quit. quit. Yeah, mm. I was like, oh, all right. But come you didn't grow up with Virgil, okay? No, I didn't, but Virgil or Spivey? <laughs> I'd take Spivey over Virgil Fuck because Spivey off. can at least do a couple things. Fuck in the off. Virgil looks like a big old badass. I don't like that at all. I think you're on the losing side of that fight. You are, take Spivey over Virgil? I would take Spivey over Virgil. We, I still have sympathy for Virgil after all these weeks. Spivey <laughs> might be the better character, but... You mean Virgil might be Virgil the better might be the better character, but Spivey's the better wrestler. It's sometimes you'll just put up with things and just like Tanya, I like. I was him. the biggest advocate for Virgil for the longest time. Well, he had those. I wanted him to break free of the yeah. million dollar man. He didn't I take wanted him to show people what he could do, and then yeah. he got in there and showed people what he could do, and then yeah. I never wanted him to go back in and there. It wasn't again. anything at all. <laughs> but like, did Virgil, Virgil, any worse of a wrestler? Like, I mean, as far as ability, then well. Shit. Virgil is as good of a wrestler today as he was 30 years ago. No, I mean like is like at this point in time is he any like boom. Is he drop. is he any less like fluid in the ring than Warrior? But Warrior has like the 
the palpability, but Warrior has energy. Yes, I'm just talking about like as far as charisma. like as far as like in ring ability, your your basics. Like he could do a fucking clothesline and a suplex just as well as Warrior. He just doesn't have. He can do a close. The magnetism. I mean, Warrior. most wrestlers. Most wrestlers would. He doesn't have any real rhythm with his feet. Or most wrestlers would probably prefer to take a clothesline from Virgil. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'd much rather that. share a beer with Virgil than Hellwig. Virgil oh, 92 is yeah, the equivalent of Shane McMahon today. Where he gets in there Oh, you, you mean they like to throw dance. boxing punches? Yeah. Thing? Yes. Maybe, maybe Shane learned that from Virgil. Could be. <laughs> Moving on to our second match. Nails oh, okay. versus Virgil. <laughs> Sorry for all the Virgil talk. I thought it couldn't get worse. <sighs> So Nails yes. was a former convict that Big Boss Man had treated too roughly and was out for revenge. So that makes who the heel? Nails. Nails. Yeah, but he... Because he literally he, made death threats in his promos. Yeah, but he beat... But he from got From prison. But he got beat up. He was already doing his time. But they still let him out of prison. <laughs> I'm just saying Big Boss Man treated him too roughly. He says Boss Man treated him too roughly. Oh, okay. When Nail showed up, I was like, is that the mayor? Could no. that possibly be? Uh, Glenn? No. I knew it wasn't, but I was like, he definitely kind of looks like Glenn Jacobs, guys, right? So do we want a Nail's moves counter? <laughs> a Nail's what counter? Moves. Moves counter. Oh. Like, we're going to count how many moves he does in this match. Are you ready? One, Nail's chokes, chokes. Virgil. Yes. I mean, he's he's a shoot fighter. But Virgil fights back with some right hands. He's... he's, he's he trained in Enochism. Yeah. Virgil then hits a clothesline and a drop kick that only has Nails stumbling into the ropes. Mm. Nails goes back to choking. Yeah, of course. Ooh. Look at him. Misses a clothesline, and Virgil comes back off the ropes with a sunset flip, only for Nails to stay up and two, mm-hmm. punch down. Yes. But Virgil's moved, cradles Nails up for a pin. But Nails no sells it and begins to choke, choke Virgil. Yes, cool. Nails then dumps Virgil out to the floor, falling out to three, mm. slam his head yes. onto the apron multiple times. That sounds like her. That's a second move, right? Back in, Virgil with a big boot on a charging Nails, but it is no sold, and Virgil is taken down with a number four. Clothesline. Nels then locks on move number five. Oh, a sleeper. Which um, you know, Vince McMahon calls a chokehold, and Bobby says, "Don't you know your holds?" Which is very funny because Vince doesn't, doesn't know. He does I'll, not know I'll them at all. I'll point some more out later. They're yeah. very fun. <laughs> and while he has the sleeper on, the ref just stops the match. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah. Yeah. And guess what? And Post match, Nails just continues choking. Hey, that's but heel, with that's a nightstick. Night that's exactly. that's heel shit. They had, even had nightstick cam. You see nightstick cam? <laughs> he stole the nightstick, so he had so that. So good nightstick. news, guys. This is Nails' last. <laughs> oh, nice. Exactly. Yep. So then we go to Lord Alfred Hayes. I was yeah waiting for Nails versus Hammer. Uh, he is the nail. I'm the hammer. <laughs> One, two, three. That would be a more enjoyable. <laughs> Lord Alfred Hayes knocks on Macho Man's door, and he gets no response. He's, you know what he's there for. He's trying to find M- MP, MR dot. He's trying to find perfect. Big P. 
And he said, and Hayes says he can't confirm the rumors that Perfect is in the locker room of Savage, but can confirm that the door is locked and no one is answered. <sighs> and I was like, man, cool. Hayes is a regular Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. We haven't seen Hayes in a while. It's been a while. He's uh, older. His hair is worse. We then go to Mean Gene, who's in the back with Sensational Sherry. <sighs> I, love, I love you, Sherry. And they send it to a video of Shawn Michaels coming down to ringside during a Rick Martel-Bret Hart match. Shawn starts punching Bret in the face, even though the model has him in a Boston Crab, which causes a DQ. Which is a pretty slimy thing to do. Yeah. It's awesome. <laughs> Another match we see Martel coming down during a Michaels match to taunt him, and he gives Sherry a little wink. Sherry returns it. And gives him a little smile, like, oh. We then go to the model having another match when Sherry would come to ringside, giving Martel a smile of approval. Wearing her flowing designer gown, as it was mentioned by, I don't remember who said it, but the fact that they had to throw those words out there. I mean, I'd imagine Bobby Heenan. I can't imagine uh, Vince McMahon to say the word flowing. He's pretty averse to adjectives. (laughs) We then get back to Mean Gene and Sherry live, and Sherry says, starts talking about how good-looking both Michaels and Martell are. I mean, you going to argue? I'm definitely not. <laughs> how about you, Shane? Nope. <laughs> and she got her wish with a no-hitting-in-the-face stipulation. Oh, this is so funny. <laughs> so fun. But she says she's going to stand right by her man. She says, I stand just like every good woman. By her man. I have to ask, did any of you think that possibly she was drinking with Hawk before this segment? Because she seemed a little bit... Wasn't everyone drinking on this show? I mean, I don't know. (laughs) Probably. But, love you, Sherry. Yep. I don't think she's dead. She's not dead. She's great. All we know is that she's great. She's sensational. Sorry. She's not scary, Matt. She's sensational. Yeah, that was my other thing I wrote. She's looking a little extra scared. She's we'll blame, we'll blame it on the, 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 the tipsiness. She's, she's a little bit love drunk. She's got the makeup, the, the weird makeup on. She's got face tattoos. Sherry, you know, she saw into the future. Mm-hmm. She knew that these young kids were going to listen to... She, go, she make... went to the future and got the white version of China's outfit. There you go. Could you so imagine have... China and Sherry existing at the same time? That would be awesome. Oh, God. So we go to our third match, the model Rick Martel versus Shawn Michaels with Sensational Sherry. And Sherry carries out a full-length mirror as they're yes. coming to the ring. Rick, uh, Rick does come in, come to the ring first, but he's got full tennis garb on. Yeah, I was trying very to figure nice. out. I mean, I guess tennis, tennis is probably bigger over there. I mean, they're in Wembley. It's where Wimbledon is uh, played. Oh, yeah. See, I don't know anything about part. tennis. Andre Agassi. That's all I know about tennis. Anna Kornikova. That's about it. Mario Tennis is a very fun video game. Yeah. My favorite part of this of this is Heenan whistling yes. Sexy Boy. Yeah. I was like, is, is he whistling? Yeah. Like, As that was going on, best. my surround sound was acting really weird, so it kept coming from like different parts of the house, and I was trying to figure out what the fuck <laughs> I was hearing because can't see him whistling on the screen. Yeah, they come out with a mirror, and Vince McMahon says, who's more conceited? And Bobby says, well, we know it's not Howard Finkel. <laughs> <laughs> 
So Sean's checking himself out in the mirror before the match, and Martel's kind of like, eh, not a bad idea. So yeah. he starts doing the exact same. <laughs> That's good. Sherry's got her, like, ass out. She's wearing, like, a heart-shaped, like, chaps, basically. Yeah. Yep. And then she's got, like, you know, obviously some sort of, like, underwear or ring gear that doesn't cover her ass cheeks. So, it's, you know, she's cheeking. Match gets going as Martel outsmarts Sean early on, cartwheeling out of a potential hip toss. But Michaels hits the first big move with a dropkick. Sean is showboating, allowing the model to attack from behind, hitting knees to the gut, and goes for a springboard crossbody, only for Michaels to duck. Sean with some arm work, and the two then are pulling each other down by the hair. Yeah, the Rick Martel like hair pull in the in the wrist lock. He does that like twice in a row, and then Sean Michaels is like, "You're not the only one that can do this." <laughs> Before Martel sends Michaels over the ropes to the floor where Sherry starts checking on him. The model ends up following out, gives Sherry a hug, which she likes very much. Yeah. Before Martel rolls... She's a two-woman man, potentially. She's also looking to the future. She's polyamorous. Sherry, two boys. <laughs> Martel then rolls Sean back in, hitting a back body drop, tosses Michaels to the ropes, but Sean ducks a clothesline and goes for an O'Connor roll, using the tights, only for the ref to catch him. And this is where we get a little bit of ass crack. Intentional ass crack. A little bit, a lot of it. A lot of it. Because the two <laughs> just keep rolling over on top of each other, trying to use the tights to make a pin. But the ref is right there on top of it. Yeah. Until they make it to the ropes. And Heenan says, I've never seen so many smiles in all my life. Yeah. More moons in London, yeah, England than on any other planet. Yeah. Cheek to cheek to cheek to cheek. Michaels then hits a super kick to the chest for a two count. Begins working the midsection. Goes for an Irish whip, but is reversed. Only for the model to eat a knee. Allowing Sean to go for a leverage pin. But the ref catches what would have been his foot on the rope. But he totally misses putting his foot up yeah, on the rope. Tried, and uh, this like at this point in the match, there's been a couple of moments where they've had the the like fists up, yeah. and it's like oh the stipulation. So they have been they have teased it a, a couple of times already, and they they will some more. As Michaels is complaining to the ref, Martel cradles him up for a two count. Once back to their feet, they're in each other's faces, shoving each other before a slap fight breaks out <sighs> as Sherry a... gets up to the apron. Love a slap fight, goddammit. They look like they're gonna about they're about to punch each other. Yes. And Sherry faints to <gasps> the apron. Oh my gosh. She can't take it. These two beefcakes fighting over her? It's too much for her, you know, ass shaped heart. Michaels goes over to check on her and accidentally knocks her off to the floor. And then the model rolls out to the floor and attempts CPR. The two start arguing over who's going to help Sherry out on the floor. With Sean, I don't know, but somebody's got to do it. Sean nails Martell in the face, and the two begin brawling up the entryway, and the bell rings. Come on. Come on. Both men have been counted out as Sherry begins to revive. But she sees what is happening, so she fakes Fainting again. She reversed. She reversed takers. She's like up and is like sees them just like drops right back down. <laughs> Officials start coming out to break up the brawl, including an old, an old favorite of ours, JJ Dillon, mm-hmm. who we haven't seen in quite some time. 
And that allows Michaels to come back and pick up Sherry to carry her to the back. And they literally is, just picks her up on the shoulder. shoulder yeah. like, so her ass is just like hanging out there for everyone to see. And this is the quote that uh, I had, and it'll be the last time I br- bring it up because we spent too much time on it. But this is where Vince McMahon blew, Vince McMahon blew my mind and said, in the States, there's a TV show uh, known as Twin Peaks. And he's talking about her ass. It's like, well, peaks are normally used for breasts. But, you know, Vince McMahon also isn't human. He's a Republican. He probably doesn't know the <laughs> The reason behind it, I believe, but it's because I remember him saying that as he's throwing her over the shoulder, the shoulder oh, they have a, a, a shot. shot. The, yeah, it's a okay. big shot before they he turns around and it's on her ass. Well, yeah. All right. Well, either way, that's when it blew my mind. I was like, Vince McMahon and Twin Peaks reference? I guess he saw... It's like, I don't imagine he's watched any television show ever in his life. Uh, he was more young and hip back then, so... I could um, pro? Almost I could pro? Almost. The model then breaks away from the officials, coming back down to nail Sean, causing him to drop Sherry. So Martell then picks her up. He's got a pile driver! At least that's what Bobby Heenan thinks for a second. But Michaels is back up, hits Mar- the model from behind, so now Sean is picking Sherry back up. Poor fucking Sherry. She you know what kind of... She, she takes more bumps yeah. in this match than either one of them. Yeah, And Sherry's a badass. She can do it. It would have kind of been extra badass if he really did... If Martel really did do that, where he picked her up and people like started to walk with her, look to the left, look to the right, and then pile-drive her ass. <laughs> I mean, and then, and then it's like, all right, well, this third match is going to be crazy. <laughs> so after the last time the model got knocked down, he ends up running back to the back. And then he comes back out, but he has a bucket with him. And then he throws it onto Sherry. It's full of water. To revive her, because, you know, she's fainted. Yeah. He was fresh out of smelling salts. She's fainted. And Michaels ends up up dropping Sherry once again, chasing (laughs) the model to the back. And Sherry just starts freaking out. Yeah. She doesn't know what to think. She's already conflicted. We know that. We then go to the locker room. Sean Mooney's there with the Nasty Boys and Jimmy Hart. And they're even having a good laugh about what just happened to Sherry. <laughs> but they are mad about not having a title shot tonight. So they, they're they like, Jimmy Hart, you need to get us a title shot. And he hesitates for a moment. He's got another team. But says, yes, you will get a title shot. And the reason he hesitates, you're right. Yeah. Because he also, manages, he also manages Money, Inc. Yeah. Who's, who was the former, just was the former champion, so. Yeah, and they're the, I mean, it's also Ted DiBiase. Nasty boy's fine, but Ted, Dio, sure Ted, Ted DiBiase's been around a while. Yeah, I hope so. I would hope Ted DiBiase makes more than the Nasty Boys, but. Yeah. I don't know, they're friends with Hogan, so. Remember when the, like, one show we watched with the Nasty Boys in WCW, and they had a pretty cool match, it was kind of fun, yes. and they came to WWF and didn't do anything, probably because, you know, the style is different, but at that time, in WCW, where this how they fell down the tag team ranks in like less than a year. Yeah, but the WCW tag tag stuff at that time was really good, and they fit in really well. And all the singles match stuff was a mess, and it's kind of like flopped since they yeah. left. And now it's like Steamboat Rude, and you're like, oh my god, this is incredible. And the tag, all the tag teams are gone, and there's just at one point it was nothing but tag matches. And tag teams, not just fake tag matches. Yeah. And now the Nasty Boys are over here with, you know, DiBiase and IRS who are not 
tag team wrestlers, typically. So we're headed to our fourth match. The Beverly Brothers of Bo and Blake. With Fleep and Lanny. With the genius. Versus the natural disasters of Earthquake and Typhoon. For the WWF Tag Team Championships. And as I mentioned earlier, the disasters had won the belts from Money, Inc. about a month prior at a house show in Worcester, Massachusetts. Uh, That's where my dad was born, Worcester, Massachusetts. From what I understand, it's a shithole. Does it have a shire? I don't know what it has. I don't know that I've ever been there. The genius then reads a horrible poem. Yeah, I wrote poem and then quotation marks and then uh, just nah. I was like, I'm not writing any of this down. (laughs) Nope, not going to do it. But the brothers attack from behind, go for an Irish whip, but Earthquake reverses, allowing Typhoon to clothesline Blake, followed by Quake clotheslining Bo. The disasters then sandwich the brothers multiple times, a back elbow and a body slam by Typhoon, and goes for a leg drop, but Blake avoids and tries for a body slam of his own. But Typhoon is too heavy. I don't know if you guys know this. I mean, he's kind of a big guy. He's a big guy. Yeah. He weighs, like, how many buckets of water, you think? Oh, more than Rick Martell's carry. A couple dozen. <laughs> more, than Rick, yeah, more than Rick Martell can carry. <laughs> Which forces Beverly to fall over with Typhoon on top for a two count. Avalanche splashed by Typhoon. Earthquake tries for one, but Blake moves, causing Typhoon to take the splash. Blake then presses Bo onto Typhoon, and then the brain lets us know that... Shawn Michaels mm-hmm. has left the building. I, I, yeah, they never did that for uh, world's greatest recording artist, the Honky Tonk Man. But Bobby the Brain that's wasn't around. <laughs> when I mean, yeah, that's true. On house shows, they did. Did they? Yeah. Well, because I was at a Honky Tonk Man show where they did. Oh. The greatest IC champion of all time. We get a second rope diving headbutt and leg drop by Blake. A leaping body guillotine by Bo, some chokes and double teams by the Beverlies. Another dropping headbutt by Blake gets a two count before locking on a front face lock, which Typhoon ends up powering his way to the corner, but the ref misses the tag. The Beverlies continue with double axe handles, more chokes, ram Typhoon's back into a corner multiple times before he charges out with a desperation double clothesline. Goes for a body slam, but Blake with a missile dropkick to knock Bo on top for a two count. Bo continues to hammer away, but Typhoon takes him down by the hair and begins to crawl to his corner, only for Blake to run around ringside and pull Earthquake off the apron, while Bo takes the genius's scroll, hitting Typhoon over the head with it. Boo. Makes the cover, but Quake breaks it up with an elbow drop. Typhoon's finally able to make it to the corner for the hot tag. Earthquake's in with right hands, a hip toss, belly-to-belly suplex, shoulder blocks on Bo when Blake comes in to pull him away. But Quake just overpowers both Beverly's, hitting a double shoulder tackle. Typhoon's now in the ring and tosses Blake to the floor, allowing Quake to hit an Irish-whipped aided avalanche splash and a body slam on Bo. Earthquake starts up the tremors as Bo is back on the apron, but Quake just knocks him off before hitting the Earthquake Splash for the pin and the win. And still. Thank God. (laughs) 
Post-match, the disasters grab the genius and then press slam him over the top and to the floor. Why didn't... Why couldn't the, like, Money, Inc. just squash the Beverly's and then just put them on a boat into the ocean by themselves so they can just, you know, die of a heat stroke in the sun? And then we have, like, the natural disasters who aren't particularly over here, but at least they're big, and the road warriors and they could just have a real beefy match against each other and even if you do the small the schmoz ending of a dusty finish i still won't be upset but you know if the lod went over the natural disasters on this show can you imagine the pop it would probably have been a good pop it would have been it would have been they were both faces though so i mean we already we have two face versus face matches on the show and one heel versus heel match on this show that's true which was very rare for WWF, WWF to do anything like this. Yeah, so. to, to this day. Yeah. Not that, you know, heels and faces even mean anything at this point, but unfortunately. We then go to the back, and Mean Gene's there with the Bushwhackers. Mmm, that drink two weeks ago. Uh, I got some glue in there. In an English accent, Butch mentions that we still don't know whose corner Mr. Perfect is going to be in. They, I was like, are the Bushwhackers English? What is the deal? Raise your hand if you thought the Bushwhackers were the first ones that were going to pull out an English accent. <laughs> yeah, no shit. I didn't think they could talk, because I know they can't wrestle. Rumors are that the Bushwhackers are going to have dinner with the royal family. And I figured it was just probably Jack Victory and Rip Morgan, not actually the actual yeah. royal family. Mm-hmm. Oh. I, got at least one, I, got at least, <laughs> I got at least one laugh. <laughs> it was more I'm just of exaggerated stupid things from this interview. Mm, oh, you didn't like the poop joke? I liked the poop joke. The poop joke. Uh, I mean, I didn't like it, but it was better than the, the rest of it. It's the, the Bushwhackers. Bridge. Do you think I actually cared anything about this? Yeah. Well, the Bushwhackers. That's that. My jokes were better that, than the jokes that were in I this. <laughs> I just I can't even fake it with a Bushwhacker segment anymore. Well, we won't make you. We need we need more alcohol from last week to to get me through a bushwhacker segment. You're too afraid of the one from this week? Oh no, from last week. All right, yeah. breaking kayfabe. I'm sorry. We didn't go outside <laughs> the Ultimate Warriors locker room, and there's Detective Alfred Hayes, and he has reason to believe that Mister Perfect is inside. But instead of being proper, he's just going to be rude and just walk in to surprise them. Yeah, he's gonna do a real Missy Hyatt. Jeez, what are you French? But as soon as he opens the door, it's slammed back in his face. I do like that the Macho Man. There was like a sticker that said like Macho Man on it. But the <laughs> the war the like Warriors ro- like changing room. Why am I stupid? Locker room. Locker room. His dressing room is not. Doesn't say Ultimate Warrior. It, it's just. just it's just a sticker of like the shape of the face paint. Yeah. It, and it, it looks was, like it was colored. I'm possibly it was colored by his daughter. I don't know because it <laughs> looked like it was a child's drawing. It was okay. It was definitely not uh, at the merch stand. No. We then go to our fifth match. Repo Man versus Crush. No, can we go back to Nails and Virgil? No, this is better than that. This <laughs> is, is better than that. Come on. So the last time we saw Crush <clears throat> was at WrestleMania 7. His name was not Crush. It was Crush. What? what? Yeah. He kept the name. He just changed, changed the gimmick. gimmick. Okay, but yeah, he yeah. was in Demolition. I forgot. Which was episode 54, when these two men were tag team partners. Ooh. But they don't bring that up at all during this match. New gimmicks. 
because Crush. We've got the. So completely we might have right? the like the beefiest surfer of all time. Crush I mean, is gigantic. Crush went from being a a face painting leather daddy to a guy apparently from Hawaii. Yeah, cool guy with a braid. But I mean, rock. Crush looks pretty awesome. His gear's kind of fun. He's got the Billy Ray Cyrus '90s mullet. To mm. the he did have that. He did have that, but it doesn't. It looks better than your other mullets of previous years. Your uh, well, honky tonk had, or your midnights. He's had one failed gimmick already, so they had to try and fine tune things a little bit. Yeah, I don't hate what they came up with. Not at the moment. Yeah. Repo attacks from behind, but crushed no cells and press slams Repo Man. But Repo bails to the outside, only for Crush to follow out with a clothesline. Back in, Crush is working over Repo Man until Repo goes for a crossbody. But Crush catches him, lays him on the turnbuckle to continue the attack. Come on, Repo. You're like a twig compared to this yeah, man. Come on, you're letting Crush smash it. What the hell are you doing? Crush I mean... with a backbreaker, but Repo Man with an eye poke and then hits a back suplex, which crushes right back up to hit a belly-to-belly suplex. Another backbreaker goes up to the top rope, only to miss a knee drop. Repo starts hammering the back, poking the eyes again, hits a face plant and makes a cover, but Crush powers out, sending Repo Man out to the floor. As Repo recovers to climb to the top rope, Crush catches him to power slam him, locks on the Kona Clutch for the submission and the win. It's like... A, it's a half-ass. It's a massager. Oh, oh it's a well, yeah, massager. yeah. It's a brain massager for sure. No, I was just gonna say it's a like the that fin- that you, no one's gonna get over with a finisher like that. Not everybody's Mick Foley. Like what the fuck? I'm putting the Kona clutch on you guys. <laughs> I mean, I was all high on Crush, and then I was like, oh yeah, the Kona Crush is a terrible finisher. Yep. But this is a half-ass squash match, and he doesn't. A guy that big should end with a power move. I when guess that is powerful to squeeze somebody's head. somebody's head, at least make their eyes pop out of their head or something. I mean, don't I don't want to. Can we get an eye for an eye match, guys? Uh, yeah. We go to the back, yeah, Bean Jeans sure. there, and he sends us to a video of Warrior and Macho Man in each other's faces as on a stage in the crowd. Five, five matches in, and we finally get, or I guess that's not true. We had, we had one thing that's real. We had a real thing earlier. And now we finally get another real thing. Ric Flair and Mr. Perfect then make their way to the ring where they take the mic and they start making fun of Macho, who runs down and begins attacking the Nature Boy. But Perfect begins to choke Savage with his belt, which brings out Warrior to help out the Macho Man, clearing the ring. We then see Flair on the stage talking to Warrior with Nature laying seeds of doubt in the Warrior's head. Perfect and Savage are then on the stage, and Perfect says the pay for his services have gone sky high. They're basically trying to say that one of these guys is going to pay Perfect to be in his corner to... You know, yeah, to do, the, the, to do the heel shit, to, yeah, to, to, to uh, push him. on his forehead as he puts on a submission move. To trip the man... We then see Macho and Warrior in the ring for a tag team bout. They start arguing with each other, causing dissension for the match. Uh, outside the ring, Warrior ends up picking up Jimmy Hart when Flair and Perfect run down and attacking from behind. And then that tag team match was with the Nasty Boys. And so the Nasty Boys start basically beating on Savage while Flair and 
perfect or beaten on Warrior. But all of a sudden, Warrior, like, they power out, and Warrior starts chasing after Flare and Perfect to the back. But the biggest question about all this was... Yes. What the fuck were the tights that Warrior's wearing? Mm-hmm. Oh, the ones that look like muscle or whatever? Yep. Because yes. I was like, I was like, dang, I couldn't tell the top half at first. I was like, is that... that's He's just wearing... Like, did he think that he wasn't fit enough, so he put that on because he wasn't comfortable with his body? It's like, I guarantee you, Warrior, you look incredible. Uh, part of me wants to say that that was the case. Yeah, that's what um, I thought. That's the only thing that makes sense. But he obviously looks incredible with even like, uh, even another, if he does not. Uh, it's the the late '80s, early '90s were weird when that came to stuff. Because I mean, we we as kids were submitted to. I don't know if you guys had to sit through it at all, but did you ever have to watch Slim Good Body? Never heard of it. Yeah, it was the show that we had to watch back when we were. I in know the school. drug guy McGruff. And it was a show that basically had a guy who Whatever. talked about, <laughs> talked about, he talks know, about the body and you know how things worked and whatnot, but he wore a spandex suit that just had organs. Oh, that does sound oh, familiar. Okay. okay. So I, like just never, just I don't know if I ever knew the name of it. an inside-out person, basically. Yeah. Remember Inside Out Boy from Nickelodeon. <laughs> but yeah, it's very, very bizarre tights. They're kind of doing a, like a... like. Half as mega powers thing, but instead of Miss Elizabeth, it's Mr. Perfect. But also, it seems like neither of them want the help, so they're like, it's a little bit too complicated for like people because it's like, oh, well, you know, everybody knows why somebody would want Miss Elizabeth, but it's like, if you wanted the guy to help you, why would you make it such a secret? It seems like it's like almost too much of a, it's not crystal clear. So, what you're saying is the WWF overbooked themselves? <sighs> I mean, it's sure, not the worst it's, shit. It's definitely not the worst shit I've seen. No, it's by not any that. means. But it's just kind of the only I mean, parallel I can really pull. We saw nails on this show. I mean, it's yeah. definitely not the worst shit. We then get Heenan and McMahon chatting about Perfect as well, and they say no one has seen Perfect, but Vince calls out the Brain for knowing something. I mean, you Brain know, is doing a because nice Heenan always knows something. Oh, yeah. yeah, is the Brain for a reason? You 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 flinched when I said this. Yeah, you smirked. So we're off to our sixth match. The main event. Yes. The match. Ultimate Warrior versus the Macho Man Randy Savage for the WWF Championship. I, this gets not, this not being the main event gets an excuse because of where they are and things, and it's not Hogan at the top, so I'm not too mad, but I was just like, when I got to the show, and I was like, main event. It's like, it's not the main event if it's in the middle of the show. Yeah, this is the Just second, don't call it that. Second call WWE, it the heavy, call it the title match. Second WWE Sorry, pay-per-view that has the championship match not as the main event. It's just, in a row. Just don't call it that if it's not that. So I don't know if you guys noticed. Yes. But I didn't mention perfect at all. Because he doesn't come to the ring with either man. How interesting. So I'm already expecting a run-in of some sort. Yeah, I mean, of course. The two men have a handshake. Yes. But it ends up turning into a face-to-face confrontation. Mm -hmm. Savage then hits several clotheslines and goes up top for a double axe handle, but is caught in the gut by Warrior, who follows with a stalling atomic drop. Like, literally, he gets that. He gets that. Oh, it's huge. Huge, huge. Huge. Also, before we get too far... He's got the, what I'm calling, the meat singlet. Yeah. <laughs> the Warriors got the meat singlet, and Macho Man has gear that only could be inspired by the early 90s futon boom. Mm-hmm. 
This is like I don't know if in, like if you're not old, if you're not like thirty plus, you don't, or even older than that, you don't know the futon boom of the '90s. But it was a real thing. They weren't comfortable. Everybody had one. They all had bad designs. But this is the worst warrior and the worst Macho Man gear, potentially of all time, yes. in the same match for a title. Earth tones were no longer a thing. Everything had to be bright and <laughs> yeah, but blinding or it's it's like confusing because they made it look like flesh and muscle. And oh yeah, I was even confused by <laughs> it. I was happy the warrior was wearing ones that were a little darker, redder color, as opposed to the Previous. extreme flesh tone that they showed in the Yeah, but eclipse. it's still pretty wild. And Randy's is like, we know he wears some crazy flamboyant shit, but this is pretty gross. Mm-hmm. Warrior continues with an inverted atomic drop, clotheslines, shoulder tackles, goes for an elbow drop, only for Macho to move. Savage locks on a reverse chin lock which Ultimate Warrior escapes with a jawbreaker, follows up with a faceplant to take control of the match. A short arm clothesline for a two-count by Warrior goes to pick up Macho, but Savage throws Ultimate Warrior into a turnbuckle, and then a clothesline to send Warrior out to the floor. Back in the ring, Macho's up to the top for a double axe handle, but Ultimate Warrior no-sells it. So Savage goes for another for a near fall. Macho tries for one more, only for Warrior to catch him and hit a backbreaker for two, and starts pounding away on Savage once again. Ultimate Warrior must have a different kind of face paint than he usually does, because it's already gone <laughs> as he locks on a bear hug momentarily, turning it then into a side slam for a two count. Goes for a body slam when Macho cradles him up for a near fall. I wonder if the Warriors coke sweats or something like that are extra severe and it's all just <laughs> running off. Yeah. Maybe they can't get the same kind of paint in the UK. Could be. I'm sure. That a swinging funny. neck breaker by Savage, followed by a jumping guillotine, tries for a vertical suplex, but his back is hurting, allowing Warrior to get back on the attack, working the back even more with clubbing forearms and hits a vertical suplex of his own for a two count. Ultimate Warrior goes for a clothesline, but Macho moves, sending Warrior out to the floor. Savage follows out with a top rope double axe handle, slamming Ultimate Warrior into the still steps and the ring post. Once they're back in the ring, Flair and Perfect are then shown making their way to the ring. Macho sets up for a pile driver, but Warrior reverses into a back body drop, which is reversed into a sunset flip for a near fall. You mean he gave him an atomic drop? A drop? Because I mean, Vince McMahon is calling an atomic oh. drop a pile driver yeah. earlier in the match. <laughs> He's calling it a pile driver, and a pile driver must be an atomic drop. A clothesline, body slam, and Ultimate Warrior goes for the splash, but Savage gets his knees up. All right, into his fake clothes muscles. The two <laughs> There's bo- real muscles under there. <laughs> the two both hit clotheslines for a double KO spot. <laughs> And Warrior rolls over to make a cover for two. Then Macho rolls over for a cover for a two count. Savage then goes to bounce off the ropes when Perfect trips him up. And Vince starts losing his mind about Warrior selling out. (sighs) Macho's talking to Perfect when Ultimate Warrior comes from behind to nail him. Hits a double chokehold and a boomerang Irish whip that ends up nailing the ref. Ref bump? 
Warrior with a body slam comes off the top rope with a double axe handle and makes the cover, but the ref is late getting there for only a two count. And now Ultimate Warrior starts arguing with the ref. When Savage comes from behind with a high knee that sends Warrior into the ref and Hebner goes out to the floor. Macho then with a pile driver goes outside to revive the ref while Perfect jumps in the ring to revive the Ultimate Warrior. Oh my god. So I mean, you know, he's a little warrior. Perfect's then holding Warrior up when Flair comes into the ring to nail him with brass knuckles. Oh my god. Swerve. Savage sold out? Maybe Perfect and Flair are falling out. (laughs) Macho has the ref back in the ring. Savage then hits a body slam and goes up top for the elbow drop. Makes the cover, but Hebner still hasn't completely recovered. So he's slow to the count, and Macho only gets two. Flair and Perfect, you see him scheming on the outside, while Warrior starts ultimating up. Savage is hammering him to no effect at all. So Ultimate Warrior hits multiple clotheslines, a flying shoulder tackle, lifts him up into a press slam before starting to run the ropes. Where Perfect misses a trip, but Flair catches him with a chair shot to the back. And both men are down for the count. And I love the this crowd because... They do warrior chants all through this match, but British, so it's warrior. <laughs> it's all all A's. No warrior. Warrior. Very good. Macho Man's up to his feet first, and he's like, what happened to Warrior? He doesn't know how he, how he ended up on his back. The Savage is like, I gotta take advantage. So he goes to the top rope. But instead of flying into the ring, he flies out with a double axe handle onto Flair. But Nature Boy's ready with the chair shot to the to the leg. I mean, you mean so Macho was attempting a face turn here. He's like, no, I'm not going to win like that. I didn't hurt this man. Somebody else must have hurt this man. I'm the better man. So Macho's, his leg's destroyed out on the outside, and he's trying to crawl back to the ring, but he doesn't make it in time and is counted out. And if you'll notice that ref count... There is no delays whatsoever in it. It's just boom, 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 boom. Are you thinking that maybe they're like kind of running over on time or? Uh... Oh, possibly. Uh, they either that or they're just over it. Yeah. Post match, Flair and Perfect continue to attack Savage, working on the leg with a figure four. All of a sudden, Ultimate Warrior is rolled out of the ring and begins to make his way around ringside. Right as Nate is about to use the chair again, Warrior grabs it away and ends up chasing Perfect and Flair back to the locker room. Ultimate Warrior then comes back out to the ring where Macho is still hurt. And after the official announcement, Warrior grabs the belt away from the timekeeper, helps Savage up, and hands him the belt before helping him to the back. Yeah, and Vince McMahon says something to the effect of, both men are champions, and it's like, Vince, you can't have both these guys be faces. What are you doing? That's a bad choice. It's too early for a dual champ. Well, you say that. And the original idea for this match was for Warrior to win and turn heel. But you know, right, so like something a little bit better. But right before the show, Ultimate Warrior would freak out 
basically like I believe it. <laughs> yeah. And so they changed the ending to this count out. He was like, I won't sell any merch. What what about my comic book that I want to make in a few years? Oh, just think of the dark warrior stuff we could have got. Just think of the But on the other hand, like they don't have whole warrior as a heel champion when you have Flair, because he basically would have probably ended up teaming up with, with Flair. Flair and Perfect. Yeah, because like Flair turning face with Savage and Perfect breaking up to do heel. It's like, okay, well, you have four guys that. I mean, that that might have worked if they had done that. Yeah. But I mean, Flair, Flair's usually going to be your heel. I mean, he works better as a heel. Yeah. He doesn't want to be a face. You know what I mean? It's so like, I'm like. It doesn't even make any sense. And is it just that Flair just not beefy enough and he doesn't want to put him on top? I have no clue on that one. I mean, that's but, I mean, obviously just, the it's answer. Probably, I just fucking got rid of Hogan, so. It's like, oh, well, who looks the most like Hogan? Well, it's Warrior, of course. Yeah. But, I mean, so the whole I- original idea of turning Warrior heel, like, for this match itself makes sense. But it, when you start thinking down the road a little bit, I'm, yeah. it's kind of like, like, well, what do you well do? maybe that's not the greatest of ideas, because... Who, who, who's he going to... Eventually, he'd have to let a little baby face beat him at some point. Exactly. Or just Savage takes it back from him and Warrior leaves wrestling. Because Savage will always be able to fucking pull it out because he loves wrestling and he's good at it. So, like, he's, he's going he's, he's gonna to stick around. People like People him. Like yeah, him. exactly. And, like, <laughs> and Ultimate Warrior is a flash in the pan. Well, they then go to the back, and Mean Gene's there with the Nature Boy and Mr. Perfect. And Perfect says, a deal was made. It was with Ric Flair. And then Flair says, I should have had the shot to begin with, not the ultimate warrior. But now you ask the warrior what he wants in life? Well, it's going to be me. And baby, I'm waiting on you. Plan A, maybe that slid by, but now we're looking at plan B. And baby, the way I see it, the two most perfect men alive today are this gentleman and myself. Let me tell the whole world, and especially one man something. Savage, that belt is coming back to me. He said, plan B. If that existed in 1992, I'd have a suitcase full of it. (laughs) And in fact, Flair would win the belt back Three days later, at a house show. Oh my god! Back in the states, with the help of a certain bad guy. Mm. Mmm. Mmm. All right. I have some assumptions, but so why the warrior? Uh, I I kind of wish they would have just let him chase after Flair and Perfect with the chair and leave just the same way he did the SummerSlam before. Oh, he just run, running? <laughs> yeah. Literally, yeah. As soon as he, literally, as soon as he started running after him with the chair to the back, I was just like, they did the same ending last year yeah. with SummerSlam. I was like, is he getting fired oh. again? <laughs> oh, okay, wait a second. Also, this show, the, you know, at the beginning of this match, Warrior and Savage are talking shit. Mm-hmm. There's no microphones on them. Warrior yells the word respect and then spells it incorrectly. <laughs> he says like R S P C T. It's I can't even spell it. It's hard for me to even spell it incorrectly because I've listened to music. 
Like no. we've all we all know how to spell respect when we were like fucking four because of Aretha Franklin, but he spells it incorrectly to the point where I was like, I had to rewind it multiple times. It's like he is spelling it incorrectly too, because like it's like <laughs> it's like he does it so fast and it's silly and it's like oh my god, <laughs> it is embarrassing and funny. All that being said, it was entertaining. We'll S- talk about it later. S- talk about it later. Yeah. And still your champion. And still. We go to our seventh match. Kamala with Kim Chi and Harvey Whippleman versus The Undertaker with Paul Bearer. And the last time we saw Kim Chi. The last time we saw Kim Chi. Well, we haven't seen Kim Chi. (laughs) But we have seen the person who plays Kim Chi. Mm, Is he pretty good at uh, staring at the lights? Uh, He would be because it is Steve Lombardi, Mm -hmm. a.k.a. the Brooklyn Brawler. Brawler. Who we haven't seen since WrestleMania 5, which was episode 28. But we also haven't seen Kamala since Great American Bash 1985, all the way back in episode 4. Damn. Where he took a nice little uh, power slam from Magnum TA. Yeah, but he in was... In a highlight video, basically. Yeah. <laughs> he, wasn't Kam- well, he wasn't Kamala at the time. Yeah? Oh, he was? So he's been doing this gimmick for like... A d- d- decade, yeah, like forty years, and <laughs> and it's like okay, well, the gimmicks got over in territories, and now we're just gonna try it in '92. It seems like a gimmick that would be better in the territory ter- territory days. He kind of jumped in and out of territory, yeah, WDF, yeah. back and forth, and it just yeah. happens. He got over really he heavy. Never like, happened to be around back in whenever. the day, but you know, at this point, it's just like ugh. Yeah, for. The, the territories that they had back then, you know, WCW or NWA and WWF. This is some like the, the this ones. is like some fucking southern like or like Memphis goofy shit that would have worked really well in like the early eighties. Yeah. And it did. And yeah, and yeah, yeah like he was around. super over and they booked it well back then, but television's a different thing. But yeah. yeah well Kamala was, is here. He was a name though that I hadn't actually got to watch him wrestle too much, but you know, well, I knew we, who Lucky he was. for you. You won't see him wrestle much, ever. You get a little bit more of him. I mean, no, I'm just saying he can't wrestle. But uh, Mr. Moonbelly himself, Kamala, welcome to the show. Whippleman would make the introductions for Kamala as Kim Chi would lead him down to the walkway. Like, usually has like a staff and the staff big, and a big, the big African mask. Yeah, it's like he's basically like his a handler. Yeah, he's a, like Tarzan Savage type of thing, yeah. except for you know. No, it's an African. It's like an African. No, I'm talking about kimchi. kimchi. Oh, kimchi wears that. Yeah, yeah. I was like, Undertaker then comes out, being driven to the ring on a hearse. Badass. I was uh, thankfully because we might still be waiting for him to get to the ring. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and Bobby Heenan says we're probably going to need a bigger hearse for you know Kamala's big ass. Match gets going and Kamala goes to attack from behind, but Taker turns in time to begin throat thrusting and choking the Ugandan. Kamala misses a splash in the corner, allowing Undertaker to hit old school. Looks to try it again, but Whippleman jumps on the apron and starts to shake the ropes, forcing the dead man to fall to the mat. Yeah, Undertaker does a little flip bump from the top, too. He doesn't just, like, yeah, fall to his feet. He he does a little, uh, a 360, if Gorilla was here. And how is that not a DQ? This is shaking the ropes a different show. In front of the referee. Dip, uh, different show. This is not a Bill Watts. Well, you couldn't come off the top rope either. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I love, like, the crowd here is so good. There's so much 
cosplay, which probably wasn't a word back then, but there's like a couple that's like wearing like taker cosplay mm-hmm. and all the kids have warrior makeup on and stuff. It's it's really cool. The Ugandan with a clothesline to send Taker to the floor where Kimchi and Harvey happen to be. So he begins to choke both of them until Kamala comes out to attack from behind and slam Undertaker into the still steps. Back in the ring, the dead man ducks a clothesline and comes back with a choke slam. A leaping clothesline picks him up for the tombstone when Kimchi just jumps in the ring, hitting Taker with his helmet and the bell rings. And Undertaker wins by DQ. Kamala wasn't going to take a pin from The Undertaker? Uh-huh. What? I was like, if he just pinned him, I wouldn't be so down. But it was just really took the wind out of my sails. Setting up for the future. Post-match, Taker grabs Kim Chi, hitting him out into the ring, allowing Kamala to attack from behind, hitting multiple splashes in the corner, a body slam, a leaping splash, a second rope splash, and a top rope splash onto the dead man. Yeah, none of them look particularly good. But he did it. The big unathletic fuck. <laughs> but then the Undertaker just sits up. Bum, bum, bum. He did a which, reverse cherry. <laughs> which scares Kamala, who begins to run away to the back with Taker stalking him. Yeah, it's the two DQs in a row, though. It's fun. Yeah. It's fine. It's fine. I mean, if this was a one-off match, they wouldn't they wouldn't have done this finish. Yeah, yeah, I get it. I got it while I was watching it, but I was like, why is it more than one match? <laughs> it was my like complaint. You'll see. Yeah. There, well, there's meaning behind it. It's, okay. We get one of the classics. We get one of the classics here soon. Okay, cool. Well, you know, that makes me feel better. So can I make a serious announcement on here? Just because of the news that we learned. Shawn Michaels has already left the building. Well, no, not that. I'm talking about like Real life today. Oh, oh, yes, oh yeah. As uh, yeah, yeah. Well, for those listening, just before we started recording this episode, we uh, heard the news that Kamala had passed away today. So, love and respect and peace and and all that stuff to him, his family, or any of his diehard lo- loyal fans. Yeah, rest in peace. Ooh, slap yeah. my stomach just for the the memories. Yeah, rest in peace, Moon Belly Warrior. Ascend to the stars. We then go to the locker room. Also, we should probably say his real name. His name was James Harris. There we go. <laughs> and and I don't, we don't know much about him, but, you know, hopefully he was uh, a good man and lived a good life. We then go to the locker room. Sean Mooney's there with the British Bulldog. And Davey Boy, I fought two years to be the number one contender. That's why Jack Tunney made this match. I have nothing against Bret Hart. I just want to win. Being in front of my country isn't pressure. It's a dream. Hell yeah. We then go to Mean Gene, who's with Bret Hart. And the hitman says, It irks me that he acts like he doesn't know me when we are in the ring. I introduced him to his wife. Brought him into the WWF. His dream is going to become a nightmare. Not even his wife. My sister, his wife. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Also, the I think the offense came from British Bulldog saying, it's like, when I step in the ring, like, I never met you, and I don't even know you. And he was like, what are you talking about? You're banging my sister. <laughs> Howard Finkel then introduces the Balmoral Highlanders. 
They're just a bunch of bagpipe players yeah. playing Piper's theme song, which brings out the infamous Rowdy, Hot Rod himself, Roddy Piper, hey, hey, hey. who they hand a bagpipe to, and he supposedly solos for a moment. I mean, he plays like the thing, and then they all come in, but he's legitimately playing it, because I was looking at the hands and stuff. I was like, oh, no, he's playing it. Probably not as well as they were, but... Not bad for a Canadian. No. I love that Brett, uh, not Brett Hart, Bobby Heenan says, I've always hated hard rock. (laughs) It's like, all right, Bobby, you're the best. That's a great line. Yeah. We then go to Sean Mooney, who's in the crowd with Diana Smith. She's the wife of the Bulldog. Yeah. Sister of the Hitman. Shoot sister. Sister of Owen. Shoot, shoot double sister. (laughs) And Diana says, it's, this match is going to be difficult to watch. Mm-hmm. And then I said, so was this interview. Yeah. yeah. She does have, like, I will defend it a bit. Okay. She does look worried or frazzled. Maybe it's because she's on television and that's not her job. She rambles entirely too much. If she kept it shorter, the frazzled, like, look on her face is very genuine. And later in the show... We'll see reactions from her that do not look... They don't look like a fucking joke. You know what I mean? Like, her emotions are real, but it's like, oh, okay, well, yeah, she did... Her promo wasn't good, but was she supposed to give a good promo? She's not a person that... that, I don't think she should have given a promo at all. I think that she should have, (laughs) but I think that they probably should have been like, all right, a little quick. Pre-recorded to where they could make her a little more comfortable. I don't know. I like it, but yeah, she does wander hard, and I think that she's... They probably should have done it live in the crowd. Basically, yeah, but I think the live in the the back. Mm -hmm. I think the live in the crowd is good, and that's probably why she is so frazzled looking. But it's like, well, she fucking choked. She doesn't get paid to do this. Mooney asks her, "Who's gonna win?" And she responds with, "She's not concerned who wins. That family is more important than championships." Of course, and you guys are right. It was brutal, but. Someone's got to someone's got to stick up for Diana. I just like how Sean Mooney basically just kind of says, "Oh, we okay, got shut up now. It's time for the match." To yeah, start he had cause... to because she was really she was positive. <laughs> yeah, they were like, it wasn't even that she was saying a lot. It's just that there was long ass pauses. Uh-huh. It's like if she could, I just... thought she was going to become an almond brother because she was <laughs> rambling man. God damn, <laughs> she is very much her mother's daughter because old Helen Hart back in the day when they'd show her on TV, she was just as. Um, professional on the microphone. Mm, yes. <laughs> so we got our eighth match: the British Bulldog Davy Boy Smith versus Brett the Hitman Hart for the WWF Intercontinental Championship. We get Lennox Lewis walking out with the Bulldog, waving Union Jack. Pretty crazy. I was like, oh, all right, that's neat. Yeah, that's a nice little nice. touch. Well, make sure to let everyone know that you know. Bulldog's the hometown kid. You know? Oh, yeah. It's the British Bulldog. We're at Wembley Stadium. So Davy Boy overpowers Brett early on, knocking Hart out to the floor momentarily. Brett then takes control once back in the ring with several side headlock takedowns, only for Bulldog to toss him off to the ropes. Go for a slam, but Hitman floats over and rolls up Davy Boy. Then a small package, both for two counts. The two are working some mat wrestling, working on each other's arm, until the bulldog catapults Brett into a turnbuckle. Back to the arm work, only for Hart to escape again, but Davy Boy retaliates with a crucifix for a near fall. Basically every time one of them seemed to get a little bit of momentum, 
the other would just come back with an arm bar to slow it down. Yeah. And also, like, Brett's not really working as a heel. He gives the glasses away to a kid, and he, like, kisses the belt, and, like, so, yeah. Like, it definitely is completely sold the whole time as a contest of, like, who is... Who's who's gonna be the better man tonight? Yeah, because we know they're both like good men and good wrestlers. Hitman with a knee to the gut, a leg drop, back elbow, elbow drop, and an inverted atomic drop has him in control. This is where I had to laugh at Vince because he called the inverted atomic drop a reverse pile driver. Oh yeah, the, yeah. That, I was like a reverse he, pile. Driver. Who let, like he says he calls an atomic drop a pile driver three times, and the first two times he calls an atomic drop a pile driver. When it's the inverted atomic drop, he calls it a reverse pile driver, and I'm like, what in the fuck are you even speaking about? Yeah, I was trying to figure out if that's what he had said or not in that spot because I had the closed caption running at that time yeah and it brought up the words reverse and then in parentheses it said incoherent or something like that (laughs) yeah i think so too (laughs) the bulldog with another crucifix attempt but brett blocks and hits a samoan drop davy boy then with a monkey flip charges into the corner but eats a boot from heart followed by a bulldog on the bulldog (laughs) you uh missed our little right in between there there was a reverse chin lock where you can see Brett call the match right on camera. It's so obvious. It happens again in this match a couple times, but it's like, Brett, you're the best there was. We'll talk about It's crazy. He should be fined for that. I don't like counting people's money, but damn, sir. Hitman goes up to the top rope, only for Davy Boy to press slam him off. So the bulldog then climbs to the top and misses a diving headbutt as Brett moves, following with a face plant. Hart with a body slam attempt, only for Davy Boy to float over and try for an O'Connor roll. The hitman ducks, sending the bulldog out to the floor. Brett then flies out with a slingshot pescado <sighs> before ramming Davy Boy into a ring post. And we get the sister cam, Diana cam. Back in the ring, Hart with a hard Irish whip, a Russian leg sweep, uppercuts, drop kicks. Back body drops, all for multiple two counts. You know what I love about Bret Hart does like the like European uppercuts as they call them, mm-hmm. or I guess the boys back in the day would call them lifters. But Bret Hart hates chops, so you never see him do them, and he prefers though like the the lifters and stuff. But he thinks that chops look like shit and they hurt too much to look as bad as they do. So he's like completely against them, and. I, it's just one of those things that I noticed with Bret Hart matches, and I couldn't disagree more. It's like, I don't know what a chop feels like. I know it looks like it stings, but I think that we they look great. No, thank you. <laughs> and I think that they look great, and they're awesome. But it's just one of those things that I noticed. It's like, oh, yeah, Bret Hart doesn't throw chops because he doesn't want chops, and he doesn't like he doesn't think they look good, or they just he just thinks that they hurt too much. But it was when he did those, like, those lifters, the European uppercuts, I was like, ah. Oh. Sometimes you watch, you know, watch a match and you remember a thing a guy said. Hart goes back to a chin lock, which the bulldog starts to fire up from, only for Hitman to hit a back suplex and go back to the chin lock, which is then reversed into a backslide by Davy Boy for a near fall. Elbow to the back of the neck, a backbreaker, and Brett goes to the second rope for an elbow drop 
for another two count. Snap Mare and back to the chin lock by Hart before turning it into a sleeper, which the Bulldog escapes by making it to the ropes. Hitman with some stomps and goes right back to that sleeper, only for Davy Boy to escape this time by backing Brett into a corner, followed by trying to press slam him, but Hart ends up dropping onto the ropes. The Bulldog's firing up with multiple clotheslines, hits the press slam, a stalling vertical suplex, all for two counts. Davy Boy then sends Hitman chest first into the corner, goes for a running power slam for the pin, and no! Brett kicks out and rolls to the apron. The Bulldog goes to bring back in with a vertical suplex, but Hart floats over and hits a bridging German suplex for a near fall. Hitman then attempts a suplex, but Davy Boy blocks and lifts Brett up to the top rope to hit a superplex for a two count. They both then hit clotheslines for the double KO. Hart makes it to his feet first, applies the sharpshooter for the submission. No! The Bulldog makes the ropes. It's right. It's basically as soon as he like locks it in. Davy Boy reverses an Irish whip only for Hitman to come back with a sunset flip. But Bulldog drops down onto the shoulders for the pin and the win. And new! Post-match, Davy Boy is handed the belt and he is staring at it as Brett finally sits up. Big ol' pop. Heart, Big ol' pop. Come on. Hart keeps there's trying to leave that. the ring. But he can't do it. It's a family. When finally the Bulldog goes... To extend his hand to Hart. Brett changes his mind, comes back into the ring, and the two men shake hands and hug. Diana then joins them in the ring for hugs, and the three celebrate in the ring together. Here come the waterworks. Yeah, I know. It's the cry cam. And Pyro goes off as Vince <sighs> says their goodbyes. The finish of that match is beautiful. Yes. Agreed. It's one of the best <laughs> things that the WWF has ever done. The finish, the finish is just like the, yeah, him the sunset, but then he leans forward is is the incredible. I was like, <sighs> I'm exasperated <laughs> just thinking about how great it is, and it's one of those things like, well, I don't know that I've seen that done successfully again. Can you even do it again? I don't know. So you were mentioning that Brett just kept calling the match and you could see it. Yeah. There's a reason. There's a reason. Oh, I feel like there better be one because if not, it's like, what the fuck? Because <laughs> Bulldog is probably high off of his ass. Yeah. Oh, really? Bulldog is... I mean, he looks pretty... He looked... Glazed over. Like, this match course. was not as good as I expected it to be. And maybe that's why. And I don't think it was bad at all. I think it was really good. But it wasn't as, like... It was well worked, but it felt... It didn't have much electricity, considering what was going on. Yeah. And maybe that was part of it. And say whatever. Because he wasn't... If you're not completely, you know... If, you're not, if your brain's not there, no matter how well-trained your body is, yeah. and how many times you've done the thing, you know... Yeah, what I read was Brett basically had to call it on the fly because Bulldog had spent the last few days partying. It didn't list anything about painkillers. It said booze and cocaine. 
Yeah. I mean, it might have been booze and cocaine. Yeah. I mean, Either way, I mean, he was, he was, he was high on something. Interview. Yeah, he, he was definitely yeah. not at his best, which he is He couldn't kind fully function of... and forgot the bulk of the choreography that they had planned for it. So, Like, even the finish, he wasn't, Bulldog wasn't supposed to extend the hand. He was just supposed to celebrate, and Brett was supposed to just leave. Yeah, but Brett obviously that knew that he couldn't just leave because of the situation. So it was. He's like, oh, okay, like this is what we have to do. He did but the once right he thing. Once the hand, like Brett ends up turning heel if he just walks off at that yeah. point. Yeah, and Brett's not. And Brett's Brett, yeah, Brett not stays face. Yeah, Brett's not a fucking idiot. Yeah, and this match proves that shit. Exactly. <laughs> to to a goddamn T. So some other random news about this show. This show was actually was originally going to be in Washington D.C. But Capital, was, Capital Combat 2? Possibly. Robocop no no Robocop, though. But it was moved because of WWF's growing popularity in the UK. So with the change of Good venue idea. came the change of storylines. It originally wasn't going to be Davy Boy in this match with Bret Hart. It was going to be Shawn Michaels winning his first IC title. I mean, that's a great show here. Over there, they did the right thing. I mean, it wouldn't have been the main event if it had been Sean and Brett. Yeah, yeah, totally. It would have it been. Wonder, they probably would have just. They probably would have just flipped the two them. matches, basically. Yeah, but it's like, yeah, the only reason this show was on top is because it's the British Bulldog. It's like, yeah. why? It'd be silly not to. Absolutely. So, gentlemen, what are some of our overall thoughts of SummerSlam 1992? There are three good things on this show. Oh, you want me no. to list them off? We don't know. We don't know. We don't know. <laughs> I mean, do you have anything else? Oh, I mean, it's, uh, you know, Shawn, Shawn Michaels and uh, Rick Martel, Macho and and Warrior, and then Brett and Bulldog, and uh, two of those three in with a fucked finish. And then Undertaker Kamala is kind of fun, and it ends with a... Is there any fucking pins on this show? Yeah, there's quite a few. Oh, it doesn't <laughs> feel like it when I'm thinking about it right now. But, I mean, the show is not hard to watch at all. Uh, it wasn't, like, pulling teeth or anything, but there's nothing so high where I'm like, ah, that's the one. And I wanted the last match to be, and I felt like there was something off and it should have been better than it was. You guys gave me, you know, a perfect excuse why it didn't hit on the cylinders that I expected it to. Granted, I still think it was very good. It felt like... It felt like the like a like a house show practice match of like leading up to the performing in front of eighty thousand people. You know what I mean? To be honest, I thought this was going to be on your short list. I liked it a lot, but it didn't really have any electricity. Considering there was eighty thousand people there, it was a little. I liked it a lot, but there was something off, and I didn't know what it was. Oh. And I think that you gave me. a a good excuse. Like I thought about rewatching it again because I was like, "Fuck, I want to really like this," and I, it's better than everything else on the show. Yeah, that's fucking like because it's a wrestling match. Yeah, yes. and that's why you probably assume that I liked it because it was a wrestling match. But I like had way too high hopes, maybe. Which because I like the angle. Happens. Yeah, it definitely. Def- that definitely happens. But how about you, Shane? It's been a while since I've watched this one, um, but it it still holds up over the years. Yeah, like he had said, the the Michaels Martel, it was good to see the two of them in there because it was kind of the 
I don't know, one gatekeeper passing the torch to the next in a way. Yeah. Um, just because Martel was always used for those quality matches all, you know, all the years, and Shawn Michaels is coming into his own and will find himself being the, the gold standard in no time. Also, the, the, the angle of, like, Sherry, like, who's hotter? <laughs> it's like, well, fuck, I don't know, Sherry. Like, I'm more of a Sean guy, but Rick Martel's a little too big and a little too tan for me, but he's also pretty hot, so I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. It's a personal preference here. Agreed. I don't know. The the Warrior-Savage match, you know, I, I remember when it was new, and I wanted it to be as memorable or emotional as yeah. the Warrior-Savage at Mania 7. And it's not. Yeah, he didn't have the. Not quite. Didn't quite hit that level yeah. of emotion. And the... then you find out the backstory on it, and it just makes it a little more disappointing too. But also, it's like twenty-eight minutes long, which doesn't feel like that. No, because, it, it and doesn't that's the thing. That's the like thing that, that like Savage and Warrior, like especially Warrior, because Savage is always good, or at least he's always been good up to this point, where like. He doesn't. He just doesn't disappoint. Yeah. It's impossible for him to disappoint. But Warrior always brings a Warrior energy and an electricity steps up to the level of the person he's wrestling. Yeah, he's got the electricity that, like, no matter how long he's out there, it doesn't feel like that long. Because as much as we talk shit on him, like he does have a magnetism to him. It's not quite Randy Savage, but Randy Savage has magnetism and uh, like talent. Whereas Warrior has just like so much magnetism that he doesn't have room for talent. Yeah. So for me, this show begins the changing of the guard in the WWF. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't have been more excited that Hogan wasn't on the show. That's kind of my biggest and takeaway. I loved, I loved it. That you know, because it just it felt good almost. Yeah. Know. It also felt different because it was like, oh, we're in a different country. We're in a different country in front of a bunch of people. And they all like this guy. It's a shame that he fucked himself like an idiot. But it's a shame but like that all these... British Bulldog was not super over in the WWF. He was super over because he was in... You know, it's like Brett going to Canada. Over, but he wasn't. Yeah. He wasn't super. He wasn't pulling eighty thousand. He no, wasn't pulling. No, he wasn't a headliner. No, like he wasn't headlining. You know, like B shows probably. Maybe yeah, B probably. shows. Maybe B shows. But he wasn't headlining A shows, like house shows. No. So, isn't it a really big bummer that he had this opportunity and he pissed it down the drain? Yeah. I mean, there are some crap matches on the show. I'd say, but yeah. None of them last long enough to really be worrisome. No. No, it's a very watchable show, which sounds like a diss, and it almost is. So for but me, watchable shows are hard to come by sometimes. For me, the two main events deliver on everything you want yeah. from a top match of a wrestling show, and that makes this show a top five WWF show that we've watched. Really? You think so? It's good. I don't have any... like strong complaints i watched the show the show was way easier to watch than plenty of others like i watched the whole show and then i was like it's kind of late and i saw that the last match basically was like 40 minutes and i was like well i'm gonna go to bed because i want to watch this like with fresh eyes mm. but a lot of the times i don't watch these shows in one run because sometimes it's a lot <laughs> like taking notes on yeah, three hours of wrestling like 
and then having to watch a Beverly Brothers match sometimes, <laughs> or the like, some things that just just don't work at all. Like if it's if you don't care about it and it doesn't, and it still keeps moving, sometimes that's a win. I'd have to agree. The uh, uh, just like you were saying before the. The not-so-good matches didn't last long, and the good matches, even though they were longer, they went by fairly quickly. So, I mean, even the... Yeah. I didn't even realize that, like, either one of those matches was, like, 25 minutes long. No, until, I didn't either. Until I looked at the yeah. the time, the official time. Me either. Yeah, and that's that's what I... I, I was expecting Britt and, and uh, Bulldog to be, you know, 30-plus minutes just because it was the first time overseas. You know, it was the f- first pay-per-view, I yeah. think, with the... Intercontinental title as the main event. It's the only show that's ever had the Intercontinental title okay. as the main event. And it was their first outdoor arena. So, I mean, it was... It had all these other little frills first and whatnot in there. outside of Yeah, it was, a, it was a fucking huge show. So, I mean, it was, it, was, it was very enjoyable. But also, like, that, all that huge energy added to some of those things being more palatable, I think. Just because yeah. the crowd I mean, was the so cr- good. The crowd definitely delivered... In Tenfold. making this show yeah. being much better than it probably ever yeah. deserved. Yeah, to be. this show in front of like ten thousand people in in the U.S. somewhere, like probably we would not feel the same way about it. It's a good chance. Yeah, good chance. Good. Where, where's the smart marks at? There. All right. Fuck you. I think it's time we smark it up. So, best moments of the show for you guys. It's all kind of like a bizarre. It's like the three matches that I listed earlier. It's like, oh, well, there's moments the from sherry, all of that. The whole Sherry. The Sherry, like, is, sh- is, sherry great. is great. It's like, Sherry, I love uh, the, like, sincerity in Diana's eyes, but she also was, like, probably, like, where's my husband been? Has, has he been on coke? has he been on cocaine and sleeping other places the last few days? <laughs> yeah. And then okay. she's losing her shit, and you can tell and at the end of the match, like, Bret Hart is, like, more attentive to his sister and she is more attentive to him because she's like basically I, I assume at this point after what you told me that she is like thanking her brother for fucking making this fucking work which is kind of crazy because I was like damn like and he's everything, everything that I've heard Brett basically protected Bulldog from anyone really ever finding out about any of this stuff and it was Brett's idea for Bulldog to win yeah of course it was and because basically, if probably if anyone had found out that he was on this coke binge, this title yeah. change doesn't happen. But I mean, his fucking wife definitely knows. Um, like, Sean and like I him think... before the match, and then they would have just reset the Sean and Brett match. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> but yeah, but like yeah, uh, I outside of the her bad promo, yeah, I think Diana brought all the names Diana brought a lot to this match. I uh, I did appreciate her presence and quite a bit, but you know. I mean, the final moment with them all three in the ring yeah, it's great. was an emotional moment. Yeah, definitely pulls on the old heartstrings. It definitely makes up for her bad promo. Yeah, the bad promo. <laughs> this bad promo's bad, but I'm not too mad at it. How about disappointing? Rocco! <laughs> yeah, yeah, all that, the LOD opening. I mean, LOD in yeah, WWF I mean, is, is under, underlined. Uh, that is bad. Yeah. Alfred Hayes being... Like his two segments were just—they're not his worst. He they're not his worst. But they were to- I mean, yeah, I know he had to be there because of it being in London, but he was totally unnecessary for the show. They yeah, could have easily. This had show anybody else go and knock on a door or open a door. I don't know if there's anything that I absolutely hate. The show is very fluffy. 
You know what I mean? It's just like, ah. Yeah. Like, the, the lows are still just kind of like, whatever. You know, you would think my wor- my least favorite match would be Nels and Virgil. I didn't give enough of a shit for it to be the worst match, in my opinion. Yeah, that's a, that's a fair, fair my, stance. My least favorite thing, and because it's a, and I think it's because it's one of the most disappointing things on the show, is the tag team championship match. They Big had talk. Typhoon be Ricky Morton. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now that you put it that way, yeah, they did. Who is probably the worst worker out of the four men in that ring? Yeah, I mean, like, we know, like, Tenta's a big boy, but he can move. He can work. He can move. Like, I mean, he, I don't know what kind of shape yeah. he's in at the moment. Like, you know. Typhoon can look intimidating yeah. sometimes. Fall out of walls. That's about it. Yeah. <laughs> nothing, nothing too shocking about him on my I guess, radar yet. Uh, I know where you're going. I didn't realize that he was so large. Did he drop some weight? To get into that mask, <laughs> I just don't remember the. I maybe I only remember the mask and not the body. Maybe the glitter uh, mm-hmm. makes it appear smaller. Yeah, um. that's why they put disco balls in uh, in in disco, so everybody looks a little bit better. It's like a light trick. Anything else from you guys disappointing? Uh, <sighs> I mean, I the Kona gave crush. two shits about Virgil and. Whatever his okay, name maybe was, I'm Nails. disliking the show more than I thought. I yeah, did. like I said, there's nothing great. I, I wasn't a fan of the Repo Man versus Crush because I've hated Crush throughout his entire. It is career. a horrible finisher. I mean, I hated Crush and if he pinned if he pinned Crush him flat, I would have been fine with it. Yeah, I because I think that, that it was Crush pretty well worked before that. Hell, he becomes next. Brian, whatever, Brian, Adams. Brian Adams or part of Chronic or whatever Everything the hell you want to call him. I do it. Acid and wasted. Rebo man. <laughs> <I don't know>. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, very watchable show. Eh. Best performer of the night? Diana. <laughs> I was going to say Sherry. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I yeah. Was throw Sherry, Sherry some love there. Sherry's always going to get my love. Much like with Mick I mean, Foley in those couple shows ago where he just got his ass kicked by Sting, Sherry got her ass just dropped left mm-hmm. and right and left yes. and right. And she. Took a angle that is stupid and made it interesting the whole time. Interesting and fun the whole time. But yeah. that is the magic of, of Sherry. Like, you never, you never, you never are tired of Sherry. She's always, every single time she's on screen, she takes, takes it by the fucking reins and is like, "You're my bitch right now." For whatever, if it's two seconds on camera, if it's a fucking. 30 second promo if it is standing outside of the ring she makes every second count for that i hope she's living fucking living well wherever she is because she's fucking earned it how about most surprising for me it was the it was brett calling the match in the ring but i didn't have the other stuff so i was like what is going on here this is not right i mean people call the match in the ring all yeah the but time. not that not like that I mean, that's why they kept going to the chin locks is because he had Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've seen people call, but, like, it wasn't... Normally, they, like, hide it on camera or the guys do whatever, but Brett was, like, it's so blatant. We catch stuff all the time, but it's not even worth talking about. But this was, like, head-scratching to me. And, you know, now... you're dealing with somebody who is coming off of a a fucked-up state and then having to... I can't imagine speak through. I can't imagine doing that fucking hungover on anything. Eighty thousand people. Yeah, he's gonna let his his lips move more. 
Yeah, he's, he's got to fucking make sure he hears it and shit. He's probably also <laughs> cursing his ass out at the same time, using a, a few extra words. The most surprising... Eh, fuck you. <laughs> Actually, most surprising for me, Phil Hogan. Hulkamania is dead. Hulkamania died at SummerSlam 92, and I think it was the most appropriate time for it to die, and I can't wait to never see... For when it comes back? Hulkamania again. Yeah, I can't. I can't yeah, I, I, I can't wait. I can't wait for him to just, like, stop wrestling and buy some Fazoli's and just be, like, a Fazoli's owner. You know we still got, like... Wow, that's I'm, a name I haven't heard in a long time. We still got, well, like, I was going to say Shoney's, but of... that's, a, that's a Scott Steiner thing, and then it was also an allusion to Pasta Mania. Like, I know that <laughs> Old Mania comes back. Like, you know we still have, like, 20 years Yeah, I, I'm well aware. You know what doesn't come back, though? And I hate to break it to you. It might be something to throw on the most surprising. Rocco. <sighs> Rocco doesn't come back. Does Rocco find Jesus and join the power team? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Ah, he moves to Australia and has a modern life. I don't know. Nah, he's making Vegemite sandwiches. <laughs> and now for a look back even further into the history of wrestling. The Dusty Finish. On January 23rd, 1984, the Iron Sheik was supposed to face Bob Backlund in a rematch. But the former champion didn't show up, so he was replaced in the main event by Hulk Hogan. Hogan would power out of a camel clutch, ram the Iron Sheik into the turnbuckles, and the atomic lead drop for the pin and the beginning of Hulkamania. Hulk Hogan would dominate the WWF for the rest of the 80s and into the 90s with his heroic all-American persona. He would introduce the three demandments of training, saying prayers, and eating vitamins. Eventually a fourth of believing in yourself would be added. He would appear in the first nine WrestleManias as he was the face of the WWF. Hulk Hogan's first reign would be over four years until he met the giant in the biggest main event ever to date. I am a real American. Shut your whore mouth over there. Fight for the rights of every <laughs> Next week. Iron Cheek should have broke my leg. Clash of the Champions. Sometime. 20. He saved us our lives. <laughs> Sorry. The 20th anniversary. Anniversary of the Clash. Yeah, that's not. Do we know where it's hailing? It's from? like there's like four a year. The twentieth anniversary show because it's like a quarterly show. It's the twentieth Clash of the Champions. <laughs> yeah, I know that. It's not a year. It's thing. the twentieth anniversary, anniversary of, of wrestling Girl. being on TBS. Uh, okay. Is it's ninety three? Or I guess because they built up to Starcade, so ninety. I get eighty two. Seventy two to ninety two. Twenty years of oh. wrestling on TBS. Okay. Okay. <laughs> You asked me. Sorry, you asked me a question. I apologize. I was going to say, where, where is Clash coming oh, from? Oh, we're coming from Atlanta, Georgia. Ooh, back, to, back Georgia. to Georgia. So, Shane will have to be a little creative possibly next week. I think so. Yeah, maybe like um, some gas station chicken. Hmm. <laughs> that <laughs> doesn't sound delicious at all. No? <laughs> yeah, something like peaches. Something maybe, like, um, something yeah. I don't know. Yeah, some some strip strip club egg rolls. Those are delicious. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not sure what food is in Atlanta. Uh, these were 
things that definitely exist in Blender. They are not. Oh, we'll have to do something different than the uh, gourmet, the the pimento cheese and fried green. I mean, tomatoes. if you wanted to bring that sandwich <laughs> back, I, would, back. I wouldn't complain. After that last WCW show, I yeah. might need to bring it back just so I can have a happy something. If Clash is anything reminiscent of, we can just bash. we can just do a like a wrap snacks um, tasting. You know, wrap snacks are no. Uh, they're potato chips that are different flavors that uh, have wrappers on the package. Oh, typically from Atlanta, Migos. Music from this week's show is the theme song from SummerSlam, and British Bulldog was the winner of the main event, so we play his theme song, Rule Britannia, by Thomas Arne. Yeah. He is a real brother-in-law. He is a real Britannia. <laughs> he is a rule Britannia. <laughs> fights by his... He ruining the song. Fights by, by, fights by his rules. on right now. <laughs> he has no rules. <laughs> If you like this episode or any of our other ones, please go out there and rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts at. Do as Michael always says. Five stars. Four more stars. There we go. And send us some of those, uh, if you have any recipe ideas for us, uh, email those to us at WrestlingHistoryX at gmail.com or just anything else you want to send to us. Or find us on Twitter at WrestlingHistoX. That's Wrestling H-I-S-T-O-X. We'll talk to you next week. Later.